Good morning, family. Flashing through the screen quickly, realizing that I know every single person on the screen, what a joy it is. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube and you don't know me, my name is Reino, and I also have the privilege of pastoring this church. Uh, Christina, sorry for slipping a few slides during worship. I was really carried away from Gottesliefde all the way through. And uh, as I closed my eyes and as I was standing worshiping like this, I went, ah, oh, forgot a slide. Oh, forgot a slide again. And I think we lost our way somewhere in Good Good Father. My bad. My bad, guys. I switch off my camera when we have worship because I tend to do interpretive dancing in the old office where I'm preaching from. So it's it's a true story. I'm not joking at all. So the book of Ruth is a story about death and emptiness uh, to life and fullness. We've said this before. And as Tantiwe said, now we are in chapter three of Ruth today. It's also a story of God working behind the scenes in a very personal and in a very profound way. So if ever anyone asks, is there a story in the Bible where we see God working, but not necessarily in front of the scene, but behind the scenes, then you can say Ruth is exactly such a book. And that's why it's such a joy to see this story unfold. Ruth is also a story about hope for the hopeless. We're running with a question during this whole series. Is there hope for the hopeless? The book of Ruth says absolutely yes. We saw two main characters in the book of Ruth in chapter one, and that is Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And we saw what they experienced was death and emptiness. At the end of chapter one, we saw that they are transitioning into a new season. They are coming from death and emptiness into harvest time and a time of fullness. In chapter two, we saw one new character being introduced in the story. His name is Boaz. And the main theme of chapter two was the fact that they were surprised by the grace of this man called Boaz or the fact that they were not forgotten. Murundeni unpacked chapter two really, really well last week. And uh, if you missed it, you know that you can head over to our YouTube channel and all of our podcast channels as well. Here's what we saw in chapter two. Ruth does what is needed, right? They need food, and she's going to go and get it. And she got to work. We saw this woman named Ruth not giving up, even though really, really hard times fell on them. Do you guys remember last week, uh, Murundeni equated gleaning in the way that Ruth did to living off of the extras or the discards of someone else, right? It, it was a noble job. It was a job that was frowned upon. It was a job that people didn't want to do, but Ruth did it, right? There was a job to be done and she kept going. And then we saw in chapter two that Boaz gives abundant kindness, right, to Ruth and to Naomi which led them to believe that they are not forgotten. They were cared for in the season that they were in, coming from death and emptiness, looking for life and sustenance. And they were given more than enough. That was one of the most beautiful things that he explained last week. Every single time Ruth had more than she expected she would have. We learned something about these characters in chapter two. We learned that they are worthy. Boaz was the guy who was first described as someone with substance, someone with weight, someone with presence, someone that is noble. And if you listen closely to what Tindiwe read, we see Ruth being explained as a noble person as well today. We left the story last week at uh, chapter 2, verse 23, that says, So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So that's where the story is at at the moment. Today, 
chapter three. And our theme for today, if I can just share my screen with you real quick, is the faith of leap. The faith of leap. You might be more familiar with the saying, the leap of faith. Okay. I turned it around because I wanted to talk about the faith and not the leap. See what I did there? So I'm not going to talk about the leap of faith. I'm going to talk about the faith of leap. That's our theme for today. Why? Why do we need to talk about faith? Well, guys, it's really simple because faith in terms of Christianity is basics. It can be referred to as core curriculum. It's something that is fundamental to our religion, to our belief system, and to our faith. Let me show you this verse from Hebrews 11. Uh, uh, Hebrews 11 from the New International Version, verses 1 and 2 and then 6. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I want to please God as a Christian, and I believe you do too. And the way that we do it is with faith. And that's why we have to talk about faith. And that's what this whole sermon and this whole chapter in the book of Ruth is about. Let me pray for us. And then we'll dive right into the scriptures. Father God, we do want to please you. We do want to come to you knowing and believing that you are who you say you are. And we want to come to you believing that you will do for us what you say you will do. And we do want to have faith. We want to believe it even though we do not see it yet. We want to learn from your word this morning. We pray that you would refresh us, that you would edify us, that you would inspire us through your word. We pray that our lives would be transformed during this time. We pray that we would come to know you more, Lord Jesus. We pray that this would become something that mobilizes us to share the good news with other people. If we need comfort this morning, please give us comfort. If we need wisdom, please give us wisdom. If we need power, please give us power. If we need rest, please give us a time of rest. Minister to us now, Holy Spirit, as we open up your word. We pray that in your name. Amen. Okay, guys, so here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to explain the text first. The two classic ways in which I always do it is to say, here's what it says, and here's what it means. Okay, I don't have three or five or seven points. I'm just going to make some observations about the text itself. So it'll be great if you can keep open your device or your paperback Bible or whatever you're reading from as we go through chapter three. And then secondly, I am going to give us three points about faith. And that will help us to answer the question, therefore, this is what you should do, right? That's how we always operate the Bible. Here's what it says and here's what it means. And therefore, this is what we should do now. So we'll have three points there. Let me explain Ruth chapter three first to you. The truth is, friends, that Ruth chapter three, I navigated to the wrong screen now, apologies, I'm back on, is a much debated chapter in the Bible. Why? Because it begs the question, were they right or were they wrong? Naomi did stuff. Ruth did stuff. Boaz did stuff. Did they do the right thing or did they do the wrong thing? And if they did the right thing, is that the reason for everything working out? If they did the wrong thing, how can things still work out right if they did the wrong thing? 
It's quite a debated chapter. To be honest, if I would divide us into breakout rooms now and just ask that question, do you guys think that all three of them acted rightly or wrongly? We will definitely have a debate that will last us until tomorrow. Let me also be upfront about this chapter. This chapter in the Bible is most definitely, certainly a sexually charged scene, right? It's that moment in a romantic story. So Murundeni put up a slide last week of romantic comedies, romances, and dramas. He said he's a sucker for it. I am too. We might at some point come together as an elders group and just watch some of our favorite romantic comedies. I'm joking. I'm joking, right? We're not going to do it. But I also, uh, I'm a fan of the story of romance. This is that moment where something inside of you, you know, it's, it's kind of your, your stomach turns. You're excited about the story, where the story is headed, and you say stuff like, I really hope that. Or, I hope he does. Or, I hope he doesn't. Or, I hope she does. Or, I hope she doesn't. Or, I, I think it's going to happen. I do hope that they, right? It's one of those moments. And it's a really, really charged scene in the book of the Bible, <laughs> in the book of Ruth, in the Bible. Now, let's look at Naomi, let's look at Boaz, and let's look at Ruth. Because Looking at all three of them will help us to understand why all of this uh, is playing off before our eyes. Firstly, we ended chapter two with Naomi kept on, uh, Ruth kept on gleaning and Naomi kept on staying with her. And they had enough for this season. Naomi started asking the question, and I'm reading in between the lines now, is this it? Or is there more? Right? Is this going to be us? For the rest of our lives, the two of us gleaning from the discards of someone else, or is there more of a legacy? Are we going to leave more behind? Is this what we were created to be here for? I don't think so, Naomi said. So I'm going to take a shot. I'm going to take a leap. I'm going to see if I can further our legacy. And Naomi says to Ruth, in so many words, put on your wedding dress. Approach Boaz and propose marriage. That's what she says, guys. I cannot sanitize this version, right? I also cannot make it mean something else. Now, let's just say to one another, this is not a manual for us to be copied and pasted as we disciple our kids, right? In how to court someone or how to, how to find a partner. I'm just saying. But this is what Naomi does. Why? Because Boaz is what they call a guardian redeemer. A guardian redeemer. So let me just explain that real quick. In antiquity, when the time of truth lived, you had access to life through the structure of family and specifically through the male head of a family. So who could trade in the marketplace? The man. Who could earn money? The man. Who could earn honor for the family? The man, right? So you could only have access to everything that gave you life in that time that Ruth lived in through a man. And that's why we call the Bible a patriarchal society. That's why the structure of family is so important. That's why stuff like arranged marriages was so important. And that's why they had customs in family like a guardian redeemer. That is to say, I'm the husband now to Marie. But if I pass, Marie won't have access to everything that gives her life. So who will be next in line? 
And if that person passes, who will be next in line after him and next in line after him and next in line after him? So you had an obligation towards your family to make sure that your family was cared for. So as long as all the men and all the brothers and all the grandsons and all the sons were uh, in order, alive and intact and doing what they were supposed to do, the family could live. If any one of those fell away, someone else had to get the responsibility. And Boaz, in the family line of Elimelech, do you guys know how difficult it is to say Hebrew names in English with an Afrikaans accent? You know what I mean? Elimelech. It's actually not how you say his name. It's Elimelech. But that's also not how he speaks. And I say, Eli Melech. Okay, Eli Melech. Right? Thank you, Lindy, for the law. I see that. But in the line of Eli Melech, um, Boaz was a guardian redeemer. Boaz was the one that was going to give them another shot. That's really important to know. We had access to life. We don't have access anymore. Right? Eli Melech passed away. Machlon passed away, Gileon passed away. So two women without any men, without any sons, without any grandsons, that could take care of them. And Naomi knew that they had a shot if Boaz would redeem them because that's his place in the family. And that's why she gave these orders to Ruth. It's as easy as that. It was a choice between the safety of what they do have, which is not guaranteed because the barley harvest will end at some point, or stepping out in faith. Okay, so the guardian redeemer, giving you another shot to life. If you've been a Christian for quite some time, you should know where this is headed later in the sermon. Okay, let's look at Boaz. So in chapter two, Boaz is described as noble, full of substance, a man of character. And now we see in this chapter in the Bible that he drank too much. It's quite a problematic description of this guy now, isn't it? Right? I mean, at best, you could say that he was tipsy, but actually in Hebrew, if I translate it directly or literally, it says he was served, right? Like he was properly served. That means that he was drunk. And that's why he was startled when he woke up. Some translations say that he shuddered when he woke up because he couldn't remember what he did. And now he saw this woman next to him and he goes, oh, my word, what did I do? This isn't what I was supposed to do at all. And the narrator of Ruth just leaves it there. He also doesn't sanitize the life of this character. I mean, I want it to be sanitized, right? I would love to just take out those lines and say Boaz was solid all the way, but he's not. In this story, is not. Now, just before we feel judgy, let's just think for a minute about other characters in the Bible. David, great king, man close to God's heart. The story of David's adultery is like right in the Bible. Can't miss it, right? Massive hinge in his story. Think about Solomon, right? This out-of-wedlock son that David has with the woman he committed adultery with, which people wanted to throw away, which God reclaimed and called him Yedidiah, the one who God loves, builds this phenomenal temple, but then makes all these horrible concessions when it comes to all of his wives and all of their belief systems and everything that they wanted him to do. Not a great vibe. Think about Peter, this phenomenal apostle preaching so that thousands come to conversion, only a couple of days, well, not a couple of days, really 50 days, if I remember correctly now, uh, after he denied Jesus. And Jesus died, right? It's all in there. And this is also true of us, guys. We can be people of character. We can be noble people. We can be people of substances or substance. And we still make mistakes. 
It's how it is. And the narrator says that this is what Boaz did. Now, here's the phenomenal thing about Boaz is he doesn't lose that description that he's a man of character or noble character. Because look what he does. He covers Ruth. Do you guys know why he said, bring your shawl so that I can fill it up with grain? So that she had a reason to say why she was at the threshing floor if anyone asked. You guys see that, right? So nothing happened between them. We'll get there now. But he knew that if, if he was going to send her home, someone is going to ask, what did you go and do? And he goes, let me cover for you. Cover, it's an important word in Christian faith. Let me cover for you. Let me give you something. And then you can say that you just came to fetch it. That makes sense. It's a really good story. And not only does he give her something to cover her, he actually gives her graciously, right? Top guy. I mean, he did drink too much last night. Let's be blatantly honest. He wondered what he was up to when he woke up. But when he came to his senses again, he was still a man of character, okay? And he graciously gave her six measures full is a lot, right? It's actually meant to be a little bit of an exaggeration in this story. Also, Boaz doesn't take advantage of her. Do you guys see that? And not only that, he also protects her. He says to her, stay. I mean, if he was a guy that was only after his own reputation, he would have sent her away and go, listen, if someone's going to find you here, they're going to think that something happened between us and nothing happened between us, but I really think that you should go. But he knows if he sends her away under the cover of darkness, she might be, uh, or she, she might fall into a harm's way. So he keeps her, he protects her, he gives her a safe place to sleep, but he doesn't take advantage of her. Come on, Boaz, huh? top guy. So he is a man of character. Also, look in chapter three, the moment he opens his mouth, words of blessing come out. Did you see that? The moment he realized what was going on and they had this conversation in the dark, the first thing he says to her is the Lord bless you. And not only that, the Lord bless you and I will do what you ask of me. Like I'll get to it tomorrow morning. If this was a men's conference, right? And I was only preaching to the gents. This is the moment where I would have gone, is there a Boaz in the house today, right? Let the Boaz in you rise. But I'm not going to do it because this isn't a men's conference. It's a Sunday worship experience. Let's look at Ruth for a minute. Ruth in chapter three says, marry me. That's it. I mean, it's translated as spread the corner of your garment over me. But that is, please cover me. Please take me. Please marry me. She's very, very, very aggressive. But she's described in this chapter as a worthy woman. Did you see that? A woman of noble character. Why? Because of the way that she stayed when she said she was going to stay. The way that she gleaned and worked hard so that there can be food on the table, even though it was a terrible job to do. And often it was a job that would lead to, be, uh, uh, to harm that was done to people. The way that she supported her mother-in-law, right? Remember that her sister Orpa left. Orpa was like, dudes, I'm out. Thank you so much. I really love you. But I'm going to see if I can make a life in a different place. And Ruth said, your God is my God, your people is my people, and I will be with you. I will stay. And she did. And everyone saw it. The way that she went about her business, right, doing what was in front of her in faith, even though she was in a really hard place. That's why Ruth could be described as a noble woman or a woman of character. 
Now, I do want to honor the language that this book was written in, Hebrew. I also do want to honor the genre, poetic narrative, right, or story made up of poems. I also do want to honor the writer, right? Whoever writes something chooses every word intentionally. There's two really, really important moments in this chapter that I don't want you to miss. Did you guys see twice? It says, she went and he went, right? Those are action words. And they are meant to stitch the whole chapter together. So Ruth went in chapter 3, verse 6. Verse six and then Boaz went in chapter 3, verse 15. And then in the beginning of chapter 4, which I will leave to the Sechol for next week, Boaz went again. They took the leap. They stepped out. They did something. It is an active word. Question that I want to answer today in applying all of this to us is do we have the faith of leap? Do we have the faith of leap? Okay. So, guys, you know me well enough by now to know that I am a Bible nerd. I was never supposed to spend 20 minutes on all these notes in the text. Okay. My bad. Uh, once I dived in, I couldn't really get myself out of it. So, let me go to the three points now. <laughs> And then put that to you as what we should do now with this text. Okay. So do we have the faith of leap? What do we need to have the faith of leap? Three things. If you are a photo taker, that's a way to do it now. If you are a note taker, take a note of this. Uh, I'm pretty sure that this is, no, this isn't my last slide, but I'll use the illustration in just a bit. We need an object. We need a risk. And we need obedience. And I think we should imagine them as three legs right, of a little stool. I've got a picture of a chair here. I was actually supposed to use a picture of a three-legged stool. But anyhow, you're going to see a picture of a chair in just a bit. So in Ruth chapter 3, we see the faith that we need for the leap or the faith of the leap is a faith that has something that it trusts in. It has a risk that is being taken. And it has an obedience. It has an action word. Okay. So before I show, oh, yeah, let, let me show the chair now. Think about a chair. There it is. Object. Do you believe that this chair will hold you? Do you believe that this chair will hold you? Well, I mean, I see the chair. I see that it has four legs. Looks a little bit tattered up top, but I think it'll hold me. Well, take a seat. That's the only way that we put our faith into action now, don't we? There's a risk involved because the chance exists that if I sit in it, it's going to fall. It's going to break. It's not going to hold me. It doesn't, it wouldn't do what I think it is going to do. There's a risk right there. Okay. Take a seat. There's an act of obedience. There's an action that needs to be taken. And that is that I have to go and sit on it. Like I actually have to do it. So keep this picture in mind. I also thought that in the death and emptiness theme of the book of Ruth, that's a really great unsplash picture I selected for us there. Okay, now let's look at these three things really quickly. As believers, okay, we believe in an eternal, timeless God. That is our object of faith. That is who we believe in. So whenever we say that we trust, it begs the question, who are we talking about? 
We are talking about the God of the Bible, the creator, the sustainer, the faithful one, the all-powerful one, the omnipresent one, the all-knowing one, right? The one that holds the whole of the universe in the palm of his hand. The one that knows how many hair you have on your head. The one that knows where all of this is going to end. The one that's going to dry our tears in the end. The one that became a human to know all of our present sufferings and everything that we're going through. That is the one we are talking about. So if we say that we trust and we say that God is the one that we trust in, it's really important that we know who this God is. All of us have a story of trust and provision. All of us, I think, should write down these stories to remember them in times that we have to. Think about Naomi and Ruth's faith at this point. Do you guys remember that Naomi said in chapter one that God did all of this to her? Do you guys remember those words? The mighty one dealt me a massive blow, called me bitter. I'm not joyful anymore. So how on earth did Naomi get to this place that she's stepping out in faith? Well, she remembered that everything that God has given to her was not always all bad. He was the one that gave her all the abundance and all the joy before the season of death and emptiness. He was the one that took care of them when they had a famine and they had to move to Moab. He was the one that gave her food when they came back, even though it was by the means of gleaning in chapter two. He is to be trusted. So let me trust him. We have a shot here and I'm going to go for it. And I'm going to believe that it works and it'll give us the legacy that we long for. Think about Ruth. Do you guys realize that up until this point in the book of Ruth, she hasn't confessed her faith in this God. She's only said that your God is my God and I'll do it. Which means that through the provision that God has given them in chapter two, she's getting to know this God. She's getting to know what this leap looks like of faith. Because this God cared for them in the land of Moab, right, where she married Naomi's son. And God is caring for them now, back in his land where his people live. So Ruth also takes this leap, knowing full well what God has done up until this point. Guys, if we need to trust, if we need to believe, these are the kinds of stories that we have to mine. I've got a beautiful little story in my notes here of Marie and I, because I thought, seeing that we're talking about a love story, I might just as well tell you a story about my wife and I and a story about God's trust and provision. I don't have time for it now, though, so I'll tell it at a later stage. Let's look at the second one. Let's think about risk. I showed you the chair, and I said, you can examine the chair all you want. Once you go and sit, there's always the possibility that the chair might not hold you. We don't like hearing this because we live mostly to avoid risk. We arrange our things and our affairs by taking no risks or minimal risks. Think about the fact, if I, if I look through the screen quickly, I assume that most of us drive at some point during a week. And most of us have driven for quite some time. Guys, driving is like the act where you keep on managing risk the whole time. It's like everything you do while driving is to mitigate risk or to lessen it or to not take any risks. We are conditioned to think in that way. It's the same in this text. Ruth, that is not a good idea. Like putting on your wedding dress, approaching a guy who has a lot of money, has a lot of uh, uh, property, who is in really good standing in this town, might end for you in shame 
and rejection. Don't do it, right? You are just someone who leans on his fields. You're going to take a massive shot now, hoping that he'll do what you're asking. There's huge risk involved in what Ruth does. Is she the first one in the Bible? Absolutely not. I read you uh, three verses out of Hebrews 11. Now, Hebrews 11 is a phenomenal chapter in the Bible. It's like the hall of fame of everyone who what took the leap of faith. Everyone who had the faith of leap. Think about Noah in the Bible. Did he know what a flood was? Did he know what an ark was? No, but he did what was asked of him in faith. It could have ended horribly, but it didn't. He trusted and he took the risk, right? We love the story about Moses liberating God's people from Egypt. Do you guys realize that confronting Pharaoh in the way Moses did could have cost him his life? I'm going to speak to the king now, and he can literally order to kill me immediately. But I'm going to take this risk in faith because I believe that this is what I should do. Because the object that I believe in is strong enough, big enough, and I'm confident enough in my object that I'm going to take the risk. Think about Daniel's friends. We love that story. I mean, we heard it, if you grew up in church, from being a child. Daniel's three friends, once again, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's not how you say it at all, but it's also not Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But anyhow. So think about the three friends in Daniel. Right? King says, bow down. They say, we won't. They resist him, knowing full well that they are going to die when they do it. But they took the risk and they said, if God wants to save us, he will. And the king said, no one will be able to save you from this. And God did. Think about Mary. Do you guys really that the mother of Jesus? She got this message, right, that she will have this son unmarried to Joseph, right? They were just engaged at that point. According to the law, she could have been subjected to stone, but she took it. She said, yes, I'll do it. I'll step out because I know who I am trusting in. I can give many modern day examples. Right? Think of everyone we read about in the history books. Think of the big reformers of the church in the 16th century, like Martin Luther. Think about big reformers in the 20th century and even now in the 21st century. They are all people who say, I'm going to take the long view here. I'm going to take these risks. These risks are all worth it. It's exactly the same with the chair. Regardless of what anyone says, I'm going to sit because I believe that the chair will hold me. Let's think about obedience for a second. I've said this many times, but let me say it one last time. Do it. Take a sheet. Uh, <laughs> not take a sheet. Take a seat. How did she do it? She went. I mentioned this earlier. She went and he went, stepping out in faith. And Naomi talked, right? So Naomi acted, Ruth acted, and Boaz acted. I can't tell you the whole story of Marie and I, but let me just drop this in here. There was a moment that Marie wrote a letter to God. This was the 26th of February in 2010. And in this letter, she wrote that she would love to marry me, and she's going to trust God to bring us to that point. She didn't tell anyone. She put the letter in her Bible, and she kept going. Almost a year after that, on the 11th of January, right, I was convinced that I was supposed to marry Marie. 
I was in California at that time. We were 10 hours apart from each other in time zones. And I knew that I had to send her that BBM. Do you guys remember those days? A Blackberry Messenger. What a joy. So she wrote the letter. I sent the BBM. And both of us got on Skype. Can I just say that again? Skype, right? Not Zoom, Skype. Proper job like desktop computer, screen, mounted webcam, really old school. And I looked her in the eye and I said to her, I'm convinced that I should marry you and I would love to. Would you like to marry me? And she said, yeah, I've been waiting for you for a whole year. Praise God, let's do it. Okay, now there's a way longer version to that story. But we had to act. If it's our turn, are we willing to act? That's really important for us guys to remember that it's easy to read these stories as if it's only past tense, but that's not how God operates. These things are still happening today. So we read the book of Ruth and we see that Ruth is the embodiment of faith in action. And in this great moment of faith, her life changes. I'll allow Lissachot to unpack that next week. But everything changes for her the moment she stepped out in faith. Let me land the plane for us. Our salvation, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, know this this morning. Our salvation is exactly this moment. The moment that changed our lives. Think of it, guys. Our moment of salvation is a moment that we have to choose to trust. To trust who? Well, to trust God himself. And how do we know that we can trust him? Because he showed his love to us in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why we trust him. If God is our object of faith, we have so much reason to, to, to trust him because he got involved as a human being in our lives and he showed his love. He showed his compassion. He showed his grace. He showed his mercy. He can be trusted. Think about our moment of salvation. Think about the fact that the risk you take is losing your life so you know you'll get it back. Hey, think about that. I am relinquishing control of everything I have and am in that moment of faith. It's a big risk we take. But we take that risk knowing that in that way we'll get our lives back. We take that risk of losing everything, but we know that we have nothing to lose, right? Because nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. It's still a risk to take. That's what happens in our moment of salvation. You have to, have to, have to, have to be willing to take that risk. And then also, for all of us, in terms of our own salvation, we had to obey. We had to act. And once we acted, we experienced that God gives us abundantly more. He gives us, as the text says, six measures full. Do you guys realize that Boaz, the guardian redeemer, was the one who gave Ruth and Naomi a second chance? And not only did he give them a second chance, he gave them way more than they expected. It's exactly the same for us. Jesus is our guardian redeemer. Jesus is the one that gives us access to life again. Jesus is the one that gives us another shot and another chance. Jesus is the one that meets us with grace and mercy and abundant love. Jesus gives us six measures full, more than we need. Boaz meets Ruth empty, and he leaves her full. 
And that is the second shot that a redeemer gives you. Now, remember I said that we should look out for the word full or fullness as the story progresses. Because what you'll see is you transition from death and emptiness to life and fullness by grace. It is a gift. It comes from someone. The story of Ruth, it comes from Boaz, absolutely, with God working behind the scenes. In our story, as Christians and as believers, it comes from God himself. We had this shot to be redeemed. We have this shot to be redeemed by our own guardian, Redeemer. May all of us have the faith of leap. Let me set us up for next week, and then I'll pray for us. Here's where we are at this moment. This is a quote from a commentary. It's going to sound really nerdy, but I really, really, really want you uh, to read this with me. This exchange between Ruth and Naomi comprises the last words that either of them will utter in the entire story. Poised on the threshold of fulfillment, they both step aside. The drama ceases to be their story and becomes the story about them. Boaz clearly now takes center stage and the imminence of his action is indicated both by Naomi's assertion and by the fact that this act ends differently from the two preceding ones. Our narrator concluded the first act with a pointed allusion to the barley harvest, subtly suggesting the end of famine and emptiness. At the end of the second act, he brought all progress in the story to a halt by noting that when the harvest was over, Ruth still lived with her mother-in-law, signaling the return of famine and emptiness. But this act concludes with no such narrative statement. Our narrator leaves ringing in our ears only Naomi's supremely confident words that Boaz will not rest this day unless the matter is settled. Boaz's symbolic gift of grain indicated to Naomi that he would act and by centering all attention on this gift and the reason for it in Ruth's report of the night's events, the narrator signals to us that his story now rushes irrevocably toward resolution. And that's what we'll see next week. Let's pray. Father God, our prayer is simple, and that is that you would give us the faith of leap, that you would help us to see you clearly as our object of faith, that you would lead us to take a risk if risk is needed, because we know that our return is certain. And we pray that we would be willing to obey. If you are calling us to do something in obedience and in faith, may we do it. Give us the courage to obey. Give us the, the stories and the knowledge of all the ways in which you have led us previously in our lives and let that inform the way that we have faith in you today. I pray that in your name.